You're listening to highlights from One Planet Podcast's interview with, with Sergei Guryev, political economist and co-author of Spin Dictators, The Changing Face of Tyranny in the 21st Century. This podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. In this book, Spin Dictators, we indeed tell a story of the transformation of the way dictators, how non-democratic regimes work. And we argue that in recent decades, we've observed an emergence of a new model of dictatorship, which pretends to be a democratic regime. This model is actually to deceive people through propaganda, through selective censorship, through targeted but limited and hidden repression. And this is dangerous exactly because people would say this is not actually a non-democratic regime. Maybe it's an imperfect democracy. Maybe we should not worry too much about regime like this because eventually they will get back to the right track. But what we show in this book is that actually majority of non-democratic regimes today are dictatorships like this. Dictatorships which are hidden, deniable, manipulating, rather than openly repressive, using terror against their citizens. And in that sense, the main danger here is that we don't understand that these regimes are actually enemies of freedom and we really need to understand how they work and how to stand up to them. The visual differences that are very clear, actually, the dictators in the 20th century would use military or paramilitary uniform, being generals who served all their lives in the armies, or being civilians who would put on paramilitary or military uniform to project brute force and fear. Today, the situation is different. Successful dictators pretend to be Democrats, so they put on civilian suits and travel to Davos to talk to business elite. They talk to democratic counterparts to pretend that they are like them. And that's exactly the challenge, to understand that these are still non-democratic regimes. We still need to do something about them, because otherwise we see the encroachments on the democracies and we see also weakening of our democratic world. What you are talking about is indeed a slippery slope where populist leaders and democracies want to become spin dictators. And some of them succeed. If you think about Viktor Orban, he started off as a democratic leader, but eventually turned his country into a place where opposition doesn't have an equal chance to come to power. It's definitely true that media are co-opted and censored through various ways, and the opposition doesn't have equal access to media, for example, in today's Hungary. One other example would be Silvio Berlusconi. Another one would be Donald Trump, with a huge difference that these guys so far have not succeeded. Berlusconi is deceased, but Trump will very much try to come back. And basically, these leaders, like Viktor Orban, want to build a spin dictatorship, want to gain power and stay in power using propaganda and manipulation of information, using misleading information, using false information. And so far, American and Italian institutions have stood up to those challenges. But who knows what happens next? As we mentioned in this book, we've studied Russia for a long time, and myself, I actually lived in Russia, where I ran a university, a new economic school, and as an economist, as a public intellectual, I was engaged in interactions with the government, including with Vladimir Putin. And there, of course, the situation was that Russia was already a non-democratic country, meaning that it was a country where elections were not free and fair and partial censorship was already in place yet in those years, we could actually express ourselves openly, not on national TV, but at least in newspapers and on radio. And that eventually brought me into trouble with Vladimir Putin, who at some point suggested that I talk too much and I should not be in the same country. 
He's never expressed that clearly to me. He passed this message through various common friends. I was also interrogated. My office was searched. And at some point, high-ranking common friends told me, look, you shouldn't be here. And I bought a one-way ticket for the next day and just left. How do we reinvent our democracy? And indeed, the model where you have representative democracy, then once in four years you vote and delegate. This is a model which is much better than dictator. People criticize uh, Western democracies, but as somebody who lived in a non-democratic country, I would tell you that I'm not surprised that people don't move from U.S. to Russia, right? I'm not surprised that people don't move from Europe to China. It is bad. Life is bad in democracy, even if you have criticism. But there is a major problem here, which is when you vote, do you actually invest in thinking about who do you vote for? And the answer for that is most people remain ignorant about the the programs of candidates, about the problems of the society. And so we need to engage people more in in deliberation over problems like this. And indeed, whether digitally or offline, there are now many more experiments and many more ideas on how we can complement representative democracy. Some people even say replace representative democracy. But complement, for me, it's more complement the representative democracy with deliberative democracy, where we take, for example, what's called mini-public, take maybe 150 people, randomly picked. So these are not elites. These are normal people who are randomly picked who are asked to think about a specific issue and talk to each other, talk to experts, talk to politicians during several months and propose a solution. And this is something that has been used a lot now in Western countries. In Ireland, there was an issue, for example, of abortion and gay marriage, which was discussed like this. In France, after Yellow West movements, President Macron first launched a great debate at the national level and then created an ecological, social and economic convention to think what we can do on climate change in a just way, because one of the things which we faced during the Yellow West movement was Macron's promise to impose fossil fuel tax, which would be good for fighting climate change, was done in a technocratic way without thinking about people who are left behind, without thinking about distributional consequences. And this is, again, something which populists would pick up, pointing how elites are disconnected from the public. And so we need to involve everybody in this discussion. And I would say that, luckily, we've now seen that mechanisms, experiments like this can work. And, of course, digital technology can do even more for this because it's cheaper to launch deliberations online and you can involve more people. There is research which shows exactly what you've said. Populists do not deliver on their promises and then tries to undermine checks and balances, tilt the playing ground field in their favor so they can hang on to the office and not step down when they're voted out. And so this is actually the rule rather than exception. We talked about Viktor Orban. You can also think about not just Putin, but also Erdogan. All these leaders who managed to do that, most of them become spin dictators, but all of them try to keep the power in a non-democratic way. Why? Because they cannot deliver. Why can't they deliver? Because they hate the elites. They hate the competent advisors. And they also undermine checks and balances. And for economic growth, checks and balances are important. You do need independent regulators. You do need independent central bank. You do need independent courts. And you do need separation of powers. This is what populists don't like. They say separation of powers, unelected regulator. These are the technocratic elites who don't care about you.
Once you undermine those institutions, you undermine those checks and balances, you also, in fact, undermine economic growth and therefore your ability to deliver on your promise. The West has discovered in 2022, with a surprise, that there are many third countries who say it's not our war. Yes, aggression is unjust and brutal, but it's your European-American war. You do what you want, we will not join the sanctions. And that is, in a sense, again, the implication of losing the moral ground and soft power in the previous years. One of those examples you can think of is indeed the climate fund of $100 billion per year, which was promised but not delivered on. You, you may think about the story of vaccination during COVID when Western countries have not supplies enough vaccines to developing countries. You can also think about the issue of non-Western wars, which are more or less neglected by Western media and society. If you think about civil war in Ethiopia, it was probably even more brutal than the war in Ukraine. Yet, as the war in Ukraine is closer to home, Europeans are more likely to notice it and to react to this, which is insulting to other countries. You also see a very welcoming treatment of Ukrainian refugees in Europe, and this is great, and this is how it should be. But other refugees, including Syrian refugees in 2015, including Afghan refugees in 2021, complain. And all these divides remind the West that you always need to stick to your values. If you have double standards, you will pay for that later. And this is the moment, unfortunately, when the mistakes we've made in the past are coming back at us. And we should learn from those mistakes and in the future do not repeat those mistakes. Right? When we say that we want to fight climate change globally, we deliver on our commitment. When we say that we support peace around the world, we should treat every war as unacceptable. And so this is something that is very hard to do, but I think this is a year when we learn from the mistake. So when we look at non-democratic regimes in the world, what is surprising is how much these people actually actively solicit advice from each other. And so we don't have a dictator's international, we don't trade union of dictators, but it's almost like this. And the problem is that they also penetrate our own institutions. In the book, we talk a lot how we need to protect the institutions of international liberal order. So we have Hungary, which is a member of European Union, which slowed down introduction of sanctions in 2022 against Russia. We have Erdogan, who's a member of NATO, which slowed down accession to NATO of Sweden and Finland, which would, oh, in 2022, Finland eventually joined. At the moment of our conversation, Sweden is stuck. So this is a typical problem we have with the fact that NATO, which was supposed to protect democratic countries, also has a member which stands against values of democracy and freedom. Only in the spring 2023, Russia chaired meetings of Security Council. When you think about those issues, it is completely bizarre, but this is what surprises you when you see how much our institutions are penetrated by those non-democratic regimes. We've hoped you've enjoyed listening to these highlights. To listen to the latest episodes or learn more about participating in exhibitions or interviews, click to subscribe. Thank you for listening.